0: the Athletic. Hi there and welcome to From the Rookery End, a Watford podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Adam Leventhal, the Watford correspondent for The Athletic and alongside me for this regular midweek edition is Mike. Hello. Reporting for duty, sir. <laughs> it does feel like we're in some sort of uh, military service at the moment following <laughs> uh, following Watford. It has been, uh, been pretty tough. And John.
1: How are you? I'm I'm amazing, in fact, because this morning, I, about half past ten, I dropped off some junior Hornets, two of them, Eli and Arlo, at the training ground. This, they're doing a special day today. It's called uh, A Day in the Life of, of a Professional Footballer. And at the door to greet them was the one and only Anne Swanson. And every, every time I get to see Anne and her smile, and she sort of did tell me off again, uh, it's, it's a good day, uh, I think, for my love of Watford Football Club. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in a good place.
0: Look, We've got a lot to uh, to talk about on uh, this episode of From the Rookery End. Later on in the show, we're going to be joined by someone who is certainly not in the doldrums, uh, Jay Harris, who covers Brentford for the Athletic. And we'll just see if there are any weaknesses that can be exploited uh, in that Brentford side. Uh, we will obviously reflect on the defeat against Leeds in some form and maybe just try and work out what needs to happen for Watford to hang together a performance at home that might be able to generate just one measly little point and stop this wretched run of nine home defeats. And we will start off with getting into the the hot topic, which I don't know whether it's been an advantage or a disadvantage to actually take our minds off the fact that Watford haven't been able to, to win at home, that we've had this supporters committee to talk about and I mentioned that it's been a hot topic so the meeting took place on March the 31st we then found out about it the day before the Leeds game and that just started to sort of grind the gears of a few people that weren't there and and things like that and the whole approach to it which was discussed at length on the last episode of the of from the rookery end and then ultimately it took 12 days for us to actually find out what was discussed in the room at Vicarage Road in the chairman's suite with Scott Duxbury and Emiliano Russo and uh, Richard Walker there. So we just need to try, if we can, and kick this on a little bit because we know the meetings happened. I wrote about it on The Athletic this week that it ultimately was a bit of a PR disaster. The way that it was arranged, the secrecy attached to it, it was an opportunity to to build bridges but unfortunately it's it's started fires which was completely unnecessary in a in a relegation fight it was much like the team really good intentions poor execution and What hopefully we can do as we start off this podcast is, yeah, have a little bit of a chat with John because John was in the room. And obviously, there are things that he can't discuss, but there are obviously reflections that he can have on how things were approached. But also, try and work out for those people that weren't in the room and are listening and feel like they want to be part of it and want to somehow have an influence over this, maybe themselves even get in the room. Try and work out between us, Mike and John, if there's a way where. From the Rookery end, can represent those views. Now, it is worth pointing out that when John initially went to that meeting, he didn't know that he was going to be <laughs> some sort of representative, some sort of committee member. So that has to be remembered. But he's now in this situation, and Mike, it may well be you that goes to the to the next meeting. So we need to work out if there is a way that we can be on the front foot a little bit and say, well, if you have a if you have an issue, speak to us. And we will do our very best to to represent those views.
2: Can I hop in at this juncture, Adam? And I think we're more than happy to do that, and more than happy to to act as a as a conduit if that is helpful and people feel that's appropriate. What I what I do want to point out, because it has been quite a sensitive um, discussion around around the invitations to this this committee, is that we started this podcast, and so we say it every week it's about our lives as a Watford fan. That's it, nothing more. Nothing less. It's us talking about Watford Football Club and our feelings. We do, we are not self-appointed spokesmen for anyone other than ourselves. I speak for myself. Ad you speak for yourself. Whoever comes on speaks for themselves and no one else. We don't hold our opinion in any different um, esteem to anyone else's, anyone else's. So I just don't want people to mistake our offer of being a go between, which as, as something as speaking for them. what what we want to make it clear is if that if that is helpful if people want to approach us to go to a meeting armed with their questions then of course uh, we'll be happy to do that and be in a position to follow up on those questions report back on what is said follow up in future meetings and make sure that they're seen through we can commit to doing our very best in that regard but we are not saying we'll do it for you because that's not We will do it for you, but we don't... If that that makes sense, we are not self-appointed spokesmen for anyone other than ourselves. We are in a position, as it stands, where we can... Get into a room and ask a question, and we will be happy to do that to anyone listening or anyone anyone that follows follows us.
1: And I think that's why people like me were in the room. I believe what the, if you look at the the fourteen people that were in there, they are a representation of Watford fans. They aren't every Watford fan, but they are a representation. But I, I would never have gone in there thinking I was representing the the fans. I was sort of representing the the six or so of us who are on the the WhatsApp group that we have. But I think what hopefully I I can add is because we do speak to lots of fans. I do know, you know, you know in person and on social media, that I can add from my own point of view stuff as well as sort of understanding the feelings of what other what for fans. So like I said, Mike said, I wasn't
0: in there representing anybody apart from, from myself. But I think that the one point is, is important here. And I, I'm not going to bat at all for the for the football club, as I have pointed out in the article. And some people have even said, I th- oh, "What was that called? What did I get called? Uh, a lick spittle. I had to look that up. So
2: I, I'm a lickspittle. Oh, we've had that one as well. We've had that yeah. So as a well.
0: lick spittle. So basically, I, I, you know, and that was after saying it was a PR disaster that they got wrong. They should have done it better. The secrecy around it and the, some of the confidentiality issues. I sort of understand some of them, but they they got that wrong. And hopefully there are some lessons learned. And maybe, as I said at the end of the piece, that they, they may well decide that the, the first topic of conversation is how do we make these meetings a little bit more transparent, a little bit better. But I, I wanted to broach the subject of a lot of people have said, you know, why are these YouTubers and, and podcasters and online blogs and things like that, why are they more important than me, a, a fan? And I wanted to you know, from an independent fan. And I think that what's important to point out, there's two things I want to say. I think if the club is trying to get a message or get some clarification on issues that are important to fans out to as many people as possible, I think if they can do that via having people that represent different supporters associations or podcasts or YouTube channels, which go out to very different audiences... I think it's actually quite a good thing, so I don't think that simply because someone says, "Oh well, you know, this this kid is only fifteen years old or eighteen years old or nineteen or or whatever," and I've been going for forty-five years and fifty years, why should he be in there rather than me, or why should she be in there rather than me? I don't necessarily think that that's that's a big issue, but what I would say is that anyone that that has been disappointed with it, I think you're you are in good company. I think a lot of people are disappointed with the way that it has been presented and the messaging around it. But I would always encourage people to engage with it. The one thing that has been pointed out from the club is that if you want to get in touch with them, there's an email address there to get in touch with the club and to to make your case. To to maybe sort of say, look, I would love to be in there or or maybe I could represent the views of, you know, 10 fans or this or that or whatever. So hopefully people will engage with it. It's here it's not been executed
2: well but we do now know what was discussed in the room and can i just add a little a little addition to, to that because i think a lot of some of the angst is that, uh, around the fact that this isn't a fans forum uh, which which we have enjoyed as 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 watford supporters before i've enjoyed them i think they've been great for a whole host of reasons and this i'm not again i'm not sticking up for the club or, or this is my opinion i think if if as a supporter if what your hope is that this is going to be replaced with a fans forum, or if fans forums are going to come back, they're not. I think the I think the world of uh, of media has changed in the past couple of years, let alone over the past sort of five, ten years, and I think the world of football fandom. Has changed. There has been a shift in terms of what's shared, in terms of opinions, in terms of how quotes are used, and, and so on and so forth. The t- times have changed since since there were regular fans forums at Watford. And whether this is right or whether this is wrong, I my reading between the lines, my view is that Watford have taken the view that there will not be fans forums. So if your if that's what your request is. I think you're going to be disappointed and I think it's worth I think it's worth saying that and I think with that in mind it's worth working out how we can engage together with what is what has been suggested what has been proposed admittedly with the rocking start rocky start to make it better because it's better to work with something that is now happening than to, 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 to stand outside and completely not be involved. I think that a lot of people use this word, fans forum fans forum. They want to go back to that sort of slightly relaxed environment where anyone can go in and anyone can ask a question. They were great. Don't You won't find me saying otherwise. They're not coming back, would be my view. So I think fans have to get used to that.
0: I hear what you're saying about that. I don't necessarily think that there there isn't a place for something like that. I think that they can exist. I think that, that that you have to if you're in in a powerful position at a football club you should have the confidence of your convictions to be able to answer any question associated with that with that club. But I understand why, you know, yes, it might be filmed on a phone or it might be misrepresented or it might be, you know, a quote must be, might be pulled out or or you won't be able to speak as candidly as you would like and then effectively it becomes it doesn't really become what you would like it to be. I think I think if people look back to the effective fans forum which which was a bit of a fun, a fun sponge experience obviously during during covid for that main reason but because it was in a it was in a cold studio Scott Duxbury was sat there. He was alongside Vladimir Ivich, if I remember correctly, wasn't he? Yeah, he was with, with Vladimir Ivich. Not that, it, that those two things are associated. I, I didn't mean that. I just meant it was a very cold, sterile situation. And if you're then sort of dealing with questions that you basically just have to straight bat away and there is that distance, that doesn't quite work. And if you were then to have a, a fans' forum where you were expected to answer whatever question is, is fired at you, you would probably be more reserved and you probably wouldn't be as freely open about it and and that's basically why we why we've got to this situation but i think there are different ways of there are different ways of interacting it doesn't have to be one thing or the other so so john let's 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 sort of get a bit of a taste because look obviously we know that there are some things that you you can't talk about a bit by being in that room for for people who aren't quite sure you know what this um, memorandum of understanding actually is. What, what's your understanding of 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 that memorandum?
1: I think it was sort of made clear to us at the beginning that you know again my attention's going in. I didn't quite know what I was going into, but then quite quickly we were told this is what this is what we want to do with this forum in a different way. And the memorandum, the only thing from it really was you know that, that you know the talking point is is the fact that we were expecting. You know, draft minutes within three days and then to be made public before 10 days uh, once you know that we, we'd, we'd spoken about them the email that I had it was you know it was a fans consultation with what I was expecting to go into and how oh, they've've they've, you know gathered the the fans they have to just have their share, you know, get some thoughts from them on certain things um, but then quite quickly it was like oh no actually this is the thing and I didn't actually read that memorandum until afterwards because it all just starts happening and you're engaging with what's in front of you um, and I just assumed it was a, a you know a few pages worth of these are the things that we're doing in terms of consulting with fans. Then it sort of comes clear after that actually this was a committee, and the, in terms of like us not talking about it, not, I've not got a problem with that whatsoever. It, the problem is just how long it took for us to now to be in this position where we can now talk about it, and we all respected the club and we respected the position that we had been put in, and we all respected that we didn't want this to be to be a to, this thing to go on and on and on and to develop. Um, with meeting two three four and 57 that it's worthy of doing that so none of us really spoke and you know I've kept quiet on it all and I saw Tom from Golden Pages do it brilliantly on, on one of the other voices of the Vic podcast you know he you know he clearly was saying Look, I'm not going to sit here and answer any question and tell you everything that went on in the room because that's not what I sort of agreed to no no one and in other words no one signed up to anything we just all agreed as sensible adults.
2: And also, I think the confidentiality thing is, I don't think there was ever a... And I'm not not just relentlessly sticking up for the club here, but you have to be sort of based in some form of realism when you're talking about communication and when you're talking about communication between two groups of people. There will, without doubt be some stuff that is said in a room like that, that is, that is sensitive and needs to be kept within the room. I don't know what it would be necessarily, but the, the, the Gerard Delafayu example that you gave at the weekend, John, was a good one. It was mentioned at a previous fans forum that Gerard Delafay would be signing for Watford, but everyone understands you keep that under your hat. That's the level of stuff that is expected to be kept in, inside the room. And I, you'd like to think that people can can understand that. And again, this, I think, goes back to the sort of the way the whole thing's been communicated and, and, and set up and explained. I don't think there's ever any desire to, to, to gag the people that are there, to stop them talking about what, what, what was going. The exact opposite, I think, was actually true. That it may not look like that, but I think that's what the idea is. Because what you were talking about earlier, Adam, is that by using people like us initially, like it or not, we have a reach less representation. Representation is not a word I'd necessarily use for the reasons I mentioned earlier, but we do have a reach and between us, other podcasts who, who approach things differently to us, other groups who have loads of different ways of talking. So there is a reach. And so for it to get out there, it's a sensible way, but there's always gonna be stuff that that can't can't be said, whatever that may be. Um, so-
1: The club want to say the stuff that, that had, didn't leave the room just to give you know a, a truth to at least some fans and those fans that were there to increase their understanding of where the club is at but knowing that this isn't something that's going to be shared because that would actually be to the detriment of what the club and what the, what the hierarchy are trying to achieve.
0: Now, one other thing that I mentioned in the, in the piece that I've written um, for The Athletic about this is that there is an important element to it which is obviously accountability. It's written down and there is an opportunity to to follow up on points that were discussed at one meeting and to be able to then at the next meeting go, so where are we with that? And I think that that's a really important element to the whole thing. And maybe that might then lean towards the fact that there is going to be a bit of consistency, but people will be able to review the initial supporters committee meeting notes and be able to then follow up on it, even if they aren't you know, in the room or there's, there's more people in the room and things like that, which I think is really important because, look, we know, and I mentioned it in the piece, we know that Gino Pozzo is highly unlikely to pitch up at any of these meetings. He's the controlling... Um, party of this football club and whether you think it's arrogance whether you think he doesn't feel like it, it it's it's his thing to be doing and he'll leave that to the chairman or to to other officials at the club to to talk at you know he will do what he wants to do and whatever happens in these meetings isn't going to be binding but at least when it comes to a situation where something has been discussed or some action has been suggested on a topic that you will be you will be entitled to then go back into that room and go right. Well, why didn't this happen? And I think there's an acceptance within the club that they they will be challenged on these sorts of things. And I think that that is healthy at the very very least. One other thing that I wanted to check with you, John, is you know, and and I mentioned this in in the piece that there is an opportunity that for the people in the room. You you mentioned it there that. You're sent around the 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 sort of the topics that have been discussed prior to them being released to the public to just check that you're happy with it. Did you? I mean, did you notice anything different between what you were sent and what was what was actually released? Were, were there any changes? Do you think that there was that sort of consultation on on what was actually made public?
1: Oh, most definitely. There was um, one part of it was to do with the unpaid interns um, that was discussed, um, and I, I suspect from again. Respecting everyone's uh, individuals and what they said, there was definitely an individual in that room where that story, which came out about Watford a few months ago about them not paying interns, it was discussed, and that's a very personal thing I think for them. And if it was if it was that person who went back and said actually, could you add more details about this, please? I completely get why why that was. So there w- there was a dialogue between the people that were there and the club in terms of what went in this public uh, redacted notes and minutes from this from this first. Sporters Committee meeting.
2: John, you used the word redacted there, and they are obviously a summary um, set of of notes. They're not a word-for-word report. A lot of people have sort of rolled their eyes and and dismissed them saying, well, it's so obviously redacted, there's nothing interesting in there. In terms of what isn't in there, are people missing out on anything?
1: No, I I really don't think they are. I think there's some lovely... Comments and off-the-cuff things that that, that Scott said um, about certain individuals, and again, why I'm not talking about them because they're about individuals, that were nice to hear, not nice even, were interesting to hear. They're not necessarily, you know, ultimately changing the tone, the feeling that I got as I left the room after an evening there. I mean, it's always lovely to sit in a room and talk Watford with people. Um, it's a joyous thing wherever you are. But the fact is that the, the feelings I had of having a productive a pleasant and a happy meeting uh, with the club that what is in those meet, were well, those minutes and the topics we did certainly shows a list of topics that we discussed, it shows them all um, and it shows details that they were discussed and that weren't battered away um, and the the tone of them
2: I, I enjoyed reading when I got sent them Having had them just to, to finish off, just what's good is that having had them out, people have now got other questions. Yeah, in addition exactly. to that, and said why wasn't this discussed? Why wasn't that mentioned? People will be taking note of that and will be going into into the next meeting with those, but and potentially, hopefully, with with more people able to join as well. Because as as the club have mentioned, as we've mentioned, I think as everyone that's involved has mentioned, you can you can get involved whether what will happen i don't know but you can you can you can certainly get in touch and ask to be involved and if it is helpful with the caveat that mentioned earlier by all means use us as your as your questions mule, if you like, we will we will go into the building and we will ask the question. We're not we're not scared of the football club. We're not scared of the people. We're not scared of losing access because I don't know if you haven't noticed, but when we record this podcast, we do it outside the Hornet shop, often in the freezing cold, often surrounded by jubilant away fans, and we're probably the last ones to, to go home. It's, it's not glamorous. We haven't got anything to lose by asking tough questions. And if that's your belief... I'm afraid you're you're mistaken so if you want us to go in and ask a question that's exactly what we'll do so there are options are to either get involved yourself to contact the club with any concerns you still might have about the process or to get in touch with us or if you don't like or trust us one of the other podcasts one of the other groups um, any of the other people involved There are ways, I think, opening up to make this thing happen. We we snookered ourselves. Everyone probably snookered themselves to start with one way or or another. So we're sort of behind the eight ball a little bit in terms of rebuilding a bit of trust and making everyone happy that this is something that can work. But the the reason that, that, that we're talking about and the reason that we want to stay involved is because we want to work towards making it something useful, constructive and helpful. I think we all want the same thing as as Watford fans. Absolutely, there's a different approach, absolutely different ideas on how that can happen. But that's what we want to do. And we will be as uh, as open and constructive and helpful as, as as we possibly can be.
0: So, John, final point on this. If people want to get in touch and they would like to, you know, they they, they feel comfortable putting, you know, a question to, to you to say, look, would you mind sort of discussing this? Because I don't think I'm necessarily going to be able to get in the room, but would you mind asking about this? And look, everyone in that room isn't going to be able to walk in and ask 20 different questions. We know that. But I think if you were then sort of use the rule of thumb of, of look, there's five or six people here that have actually asked me a similar question. And to be honest, much of the questions have already been asked that are the big burning topics anyway, but if people do want to ask the question, do we have an email address that we can we can give out for from the rookery end where they can they can contact you rather than sort of chasing you on social media which which people do anyway
1: they do and it, it, it's, it's very easy to get lost i think on social media um the best one is, is podcast at from the um which is the, you know if you want to send something and i think i, I do we, we do want it a little bit more than just the the limitation of characters that twitter can give you it's it, it's a bit more of your your reasoning behind it and it doesn't like as you said it does not have to be something massively huge that it feels you know about managerial sackings or finance if it's important to you and it's something that you would like discussed then please do get in touch with us but hopefully with the, the you know forgetting the youtubers and the and the the podcasters that were in that room there were a lot of other people there who speak to very minority groups uh, and they will be doing their part uh, on as we go on, uh, hopefully, in this in this process. Podcast at fromtherookeryend.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu.
3: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the
1: official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. A
0: Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is From the Rookery End. So we'll be talking to Jay Harris from The Athletic, who covers Brentford, uh, in a bit. Obviously, we'll just see if we can draw anything from that Leeds game. It's going to be a short chat, this, isn't it? Uh, From that Leeds game to see if we can cast it forward. My gut feeling on the whole thing was they didn't do that bad. It's just that they couldn't. They just couldn't get the ball over the line. And I know that sounds simplistic. But I think also another key thing in that game was that Ismail Assar was, was struggling. And it was very visible that he was struggling. And hopefully between last weekend and this coming weekend... We can get more of a performance out of Ishmael Assad to just be able to help the attacking side of this of this Watford side. That just look, they just need something. They need some spark. Do you do you feel like it might come from Ishmael Assad at the moment, Mike, or do you feel like his his mind or or whatever is is elsewhere?
2: I don't know. I think, as I said at the weekend, I was I was very very disappointed by his his performance on on Saturday. I think it's unfair to heap too much criticism directly on one player when this is a, a team that's failed pretty much week in week out um, collectively I think the reason perhaps we feel it more keenly when it comes to Ismail Asar is because as you point out there Rad, he's the one we look to to, to make a, a make a difference, Emmanuel Dennis has, has, has gone off the ball a little bit, Kuto Hernandez now picked up an injury, we don't know how long he's going to going to be out for. Um, Jao Pedro didn't really make a, an impact against Leeds City. So you, the only hope really we've got is to look to our so-called star players and hope that they can... Can perform, but you know, judging by his his lackluster display on Saturday, I, I'm not holding out much hope. I think the thing that concerned me the most was away from the patterns of play, away from um, how many chances were created for him, and and so on and so forth. When he was in possession of the ball, it looked to me like he was inviting a tackle. He was waiting for the tackle so he could he could lose the ball. So I, I think there was a lack of responsibility for him uh, from him, and that that was disappointing. And and overall. I think Watford did what Watford have done virtually all season, uh, and they've they've underperformed in the key games. Leeds are not a brilliant Premier League football team, functional at best, um, wholly average. weren't playing particularly well themselves. Yet Watford managed to come completely unstuck in the face of what is one of the more limited challenges in the Premier League. So, can we hold out any hope for Saturday? Personally. What's the point in in hoping, really? You, you, other than other than it's another game and we get to watch our football team in action, you never take that for granted. And of course, there's loads around going to the football that is is brilliant. Rewind at eighteen months, we'd give it anything for for it. I accept all that, but in terms of the performances, relentlessly um, below par. And we, to, to to take any positives ahead of this game, in my view, would be would be clutching at straws.
1: I'd like to add a new piece this week. You did about you know Vicarage Road has become Watford's theatre of self-inflicted wounds. I got picked up a copy of the Golden Pages to the Fanzine, and they've got Fortress Vicarage Road on one page and a massive picture of a blow-up castle from a children's party. And it, <laughs> it, you know that it, we, it was better at Vicarage Road. Uh, I think there was sort of a, a feeling of you know, we need to get behind everybody. But the minute the first goal went in, it just killed everybody a bit, and the second goal it ripped just any sort of positivity out out of it. If if maybe we get some uh, a good start, if we get ahead, uh, if we get ahead, <laughs> let's just say that let's get ahead. Doesn't matter when, but if we get ahead, then I think we, we we will see a different place at Vicud Road, and then as you, you as we've all sort of hoped from this these last few home games, that's the thing that will just keep it going will keep them going rather than the thing that drags them up to to solve the problems that have been caused
0: this is the last chance really of looking at mildly Add. like Add. Mild- Come on. <laughs> mildly. Come on. mildly mildly no because look right i've got the table here in front of me if we win we will move on to 25 points okay if everton lose oh no they're not even playing so we will be three points behind Everton and we still have Everton to play they're going to be playing Leicester and then we might be able to draw a level with them if we beat them eventually when we play them I know it's all sounding a little bit hopeless at the moment but I suppose I suppose there is you know whilst we still have a chance it might it might just be the thing that we need to catch light if we can win a game then we will see what happens and I know it is maybe just sort of blind faith but We have to go there with some sort of hope. There has to be a victory that arrives sometimes. And I'm not prepared for that home win to come in the first home game of the championship. I want a home win before the end of this season to be able to celebrate, to be able to make that walk down occupation road, which I did say (laughs) felt very hopeless, just looking for some sort of something to make us feel better. And to, you know, all of us just wondering why we're doing it. Let's hope, let's hope that this Brentford game can somehow, even if it's not the catalyst that gets us out of it, at least it can get us smiling for the first time in bloody ages. I think we've talked enough about the football. Shall we talk about Brentford, who we're going to be facing? So Brentford are 12 points above the relegation zone going into this game against Watford. And Jay Harris joins us on From the Rookery End just to sort of, I would have thought, just revel in the feeling of security um, <laughs> at the moment. And also, the fact that you are 12 points above the relegation zone, it is as a result of a great run of form. Four wins out of five. What's the sort of the feeling, do you think, coming into this game? Is there any sort of feeling of, we just want to sort of swat this this relegation struggler away?
3: <laughs> I think, um, you know, a lot of people are kind of suggesting that, that, that Brentford are safe now. And I think... They internally won't believe that until mathematically
0: it's guaranteed. It's mathematically guaranteed already, Jay. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: Obviously, I think that their win over West Ham at the weekend was, was, was really impressive. But I think what people are kind of forgetting is that they beat Chelsea 4-1 the week before and they easily could have got really complacent after that victory, you know. You know, Thomas Frank even admitted that their celebrations probably went on longer than usual. I spoke to some people who were calling it the biggest win in the club's history, and no one would have been surprised if West Ham had kind of given them a rude awakening. But I think the fact they did go on to beat West Ham and weren't really troubled kind of gives you a sense of where this team's at at the moment. So I think there'll be a a firm challenge for you on Saturday, unfortunately, for you guys
1: outsiders trying to figure out what it, what it is like and what it's been for like Brentford this this season first one in the Premier League. It seems to me you sort of almost jokingly said oh you know it's not mathematically safe but you know we've been here before. There was a point that it felt like you were all what you could have all easily been pulled into a relegation battle. But then a certain gentleman turned up <laughs> in Christian Eriksen. Has it felt like that was a that was the thing that has made it just seem so realistic so, so quickly, him turning up. Did, has he changed Brentford dramatically?
3: Yeah, that's definitely helped. I think when you've got a player of, of that quality, obviously no one really kind of knew what, what Ericsson was going to do. And even I wasn't too sure if he'd kind of hit the levels that he's managed to hit. And I think Thomas Frank has again come out and said, the moment Christian Ericsson told me that he wanted to come back and play football, I knew he'd get back to his previous level. But even I've been impressed with with how quickly he's done it. I think... He's just kind of injected that team with a, a whole different level of, of quality. We knew Brentford were organised. We knew they were compact and hard to break down. But Ivan Tony just was not getting any chances and Ericsson's completely changed that. So it just seems that they're a lot more fluid from front to back since Ericsson's arrival. But it's also important to point out that you know, Thomas Frank decided to switch from a, from a back three to a back four against Newcastle, Norwich and Burnley. And that really helped as well. That just minor little tactical shift helped and get more numbers forward. So it's not all on Ericsson, but he's definitely um, been a bit of a game changer.
1: Is there anything else he's added? Not just, just in, in on the pitch. Do you think there's
3: other things he's added? Oh, massively. You know, I've had the opportunity to to speak to a few players for different pieces, including Rico Henry and Josh De Silva. And they both said just being able to speak to him, you know, on the training ground every day and kind of learn from him that, you know, everybody's kind of raised their game. But the... I think my favourite anecdote about Ericsson since he's joined the club is that apparently he basically has breakfast, dinner, lunch, whichever meal of the day it is, with a different set of people every day. You know, he could very easily have gone into Brentford's training ground and just become very attached to his Denmark international teammates, Christian Norgaard, Matthias Jensen, Zanka but he's actually kind of gone out of his way to speak to some of the players who are maybe on the fringes of the squad, like Tariq Fosu. He sometimes has lunch with you know, young players coming through, like Finn Stevens. And I think him kind of interacting with them all just kind of gives you a, an, an idea of how together that squad is.
1: Two things there, either Mrs Ericsson isn't a very good cook, or he's a lazy person that he's having breakfast, lunch and dinner at the ground. I suspect, actually, he's just a bit of a lazy cook.
0: Jay, I, w- I wanted to ask you um, because obviously at the moment Watford are in 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 the doldrums at the moment, and and they are struggling. And obviously, things could have been quite different. I would have thought if Watford have managed to to hold on to their lead at the Brentford Community Stadium back in in December, but that to me for Watford felt like a massive step forward. But for Brentford, it was a win at a time when things were teetering a little bit, weren't they?
3: Yeah, definitely. They were on a poor run of form there. And I think even during that game, there weren't really good value for the victory. I think it was only in the last half an hour or so where they kind of, you know, pulled their socks up and kind of got going. And even then, I think Mbumo got a penalty with pretty much the, the last kick of the game. Brentford's first, I think, was it 10 games of the season, They did take the Premier League by storm and then they kind of hit that little skid where things weren't going so well. And that Watford win kind of represented probably the first time in the Premier League where they played really poorly but won. And just the kind of what you can kind of learn from that as a squad and the kind of confidence it gives you that even on a bad day, you can pull out a result in in one of the best, if not the best division in the world, probably helped them massively.
2: I think that that night for me, Jay, was certainly the the night the penny really, really dropped that the Watford side were going to were going to struggle this season because, as you rightly say, I thought Brentford were were bad. Watford, Watford were worse. Neither side could could pick a pass. It was it was two bald men fighting over a comb, really, wasn't it? It was a it was a it was a bad advert for Premier League football and for Watford to come out of it with no points. You know, if alarm bells weren't ringing before, then they certainly were after that. As we look to work out what's gone wrong at Watford. What are the key, perhaps two or three of the key things that Brentford have got right to make sure that they've been been competitive in the Premier League this season and are, are going to stay up comfortably? I
3: remember speaking to you about this uh, before a ball had even been kicked this season. And I said that when I compared Brentford to Watford, the thing that gave me confidence more than anything else was just the, um, the structure of the club overall and just how consistent and calm they are. You know, that comes from, you know, Matthew Benham being the owner to Phil Giles, who's the director of football. Every decision the club seems to make is really methodical and really well thought out. And just over the last, what, decade or so, you know, under the Pozzo's ownership, it just feels like Watford are always a couple of wins away from sacking a manager and just the kind of overall drama that brings. Never felt like Thomas Frank's job was under any threat and that just allows the the players and, and, and the coaching staff kind of just focus on what they're doing. So I think that's one thing that's really helped them out. I think as well... Brentford have really benefited from having a player in Ivan Tony, who's really kind of got a little bit of a star and a bit of a wow factor. I'd say Emmanuel Denis is a little bit like that for you, for Watford, but probably Ishmael Asar was more like that. And obviously having him injured and then going to Afcon's
2: not really helped your cause at all. Just from a, from a Watford fan's point of view, Jay, the supporters listening in, and I've just made a quick note of what you said there, consistent and calm. And, and decisions are methodical methodical and well thought out and you know I'm not not suggesting that the the Watford hierarchy are making bad decisions on purpose but could you apply any of those phrases to to, to Watford and the, the sort of decision making process i would probably argue from from the outside looking in it it, it feels not there's one final thing I wanted to ask
0: you because obviously, you know, there will be some Watford fans that go to Vicarage Road on Saturday and think, look, come on, this is Brentford, right? This is Brentford. We can beat Brentford. We can do this. Yes, they've won away at Chelsea, bloody, bloody, blah, blah, but it is still Brentford. This should be one of the sides that Watford should be able to get points against. What areas can still be exploited in this Brentford side? Where are the weaknesses? <laughs>
3: I think at the moment, it depends if they play with a, with a back four or a back three. Um, but Christopher Adger, you know, he is a really good player, really good centre-back. But um, he does play right back at the moment for them, which he did a little bit when he was at Celtic. But I think that's probably still an area that he's not completely comfortable and familiar with. And then also, we all know that Brentford like to play with a high line. And if you can kind of get in behind and, and expose the two centre-backs or the three centre-backs, depending on how they're, they're playing, then I think you can have a little bit of luck. I think West Ham, West Ham's failure at the weekend was their inability to isolate Zanka. So Zanka's been out since November with a hamstring injury. Pontus Janssen was out um, ill on Sunday. So Zanka's come in for the first time in four or five months. And Antonio didn't trouble him at all. And I think had West Ham kind of targeted Zanka a little bit more, they they probably could have had a lot more success in that game. So so if Zanka continues. I wouldn't be surprised if that's an area that Watford look at as maybe being able to to get some joy out of.
0: Sorry, I'm just sorry, Jay. I'm just uh, just messaging Roy with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, that's, great. Yeah, that's, that's sent. That's brilliant. Right, Jay. Thank you very much for coming on. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. And look. <laughs> Good luck and all that. (laughs) Absolute pleasure, guys. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. So there we have it. We've got Brentford on Saturday and we are still, still there with a glimmer of hope and hoping that we can not lose for the 10th time <laughs> in a row it would be great to avoid the record even if it is and i know you mentioned it on the last podcast mike even if it is a draw just to stop the rot would be uh would be great mike thank you very much i know it's been a it's been a sort of a we've had to pull a lot of things apart today but uh thank you not a
2: not at all it's always look we're talking watford we're talking football the sun is shining what's not to love come on you goldens
0: and john Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Uh, I'm also going to pick up some very excited junior Hornets uh, from the training ground. Ah,
0: lovely. Yeah, that's what you've got to look at sometimes. Just ignore what's going on on the pitch for the first team and just think about the goodness. The goodness
2: that can come from this football club it's been the first team that have been ignoring what's going on in the pitch that's, that, that's the problem we've had <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely look everyone enjoy
0: if we can Saturday we're all getting back together and hopefully there will be some smiles at some stage even if it is just before kick off when you're having a pint take care and we'll pull it apart afterwards on the next episode of From the Rookery End take care you The Athletic